let's dive a, li dive a little deeper into uh, what you spoke about democratization of uh, employee engagement, right? Uh, you know, it, it's impossible to get uh, get 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 a uh, agreement onto something, right? So how do you balance that? In in you you always have the opposition. We we always see their their primary duty is to oppose, right? So how do you manage something like that in in a uh, work environment? This is the Employee Engagement Podcast. Hey there, I'm Srikant Acharya, CEO at Offineeds.com and on this show, I interview seasoned professionals and authors who have a ton of experience with recruiting, managing and growing large teams. You'll get to learn from them new strategies, philosophies, case studies and anecdotes that will help you improve employee engagement in your own organization. Let's get straight into it. I think democracy in, in a lot of times, I think it tends to get misunderstood uh, with two concepts. Um, mm. One is equality and one is equity, mm. right? People want, uh, people tend to mix one with the other when it comes to equality and equity. Like as an example, um, you know, if there are two people uh, who are doing the same job, there is a view that, you know, they should be paid exactly the same salary. Mm. But the point is that, you know, no two human beings are the same, right? There are always mm. be extraneous factors to what constitutes that particular human being. Mm. I think democracy, um, you know, democratic practices tends to uh, sometimes get into trouble because they, they try to be equal mm. as compared to following an equity related uh, program. Like, for example, do you get what you deserve is what I tend to think of in, in an equity uh, scenario. Um, I don't know if you um, you may remember this. There was this beautiful uh, cartoon which came um, about uh, three people who are trying to peep over a wall. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, and the difference between equity and equality was in in equality, all of them were provided the same height of the stool. So all of them were able to peep over the wall, but still the height was the height difference was there. Whereas in equity, each one of them got. The, the size of the stool that they needed for them to peep over the wall. I think that's a great way to kind of understand um, equality. So in an equality context, I completely agree with you. It's very difficult to get agreement from everybody. Yeah. But in, in an equity context, I think you can um, get agreement from people because what you are trying to follow is is one of being fair, of mm. one of being transparency. And, mm. uh, you know, it's a concept that people by and large buy it. Mm. Right. Awesome. So, um, Kaushik, I was going through your profile and I see you have uh, experience or expertise in uh, mergers and acquisition, right? Now, I've always had this question, what happens when two companies come together? They probably have different work culture, different vision, different values and, and things like that, right? So, I, I keep hearing saying a large uh, organization, uh, let's not name companies, but, but let's say a company which has had you know, thousands of employees has been in business for uh, 25 years or so, acquires a startup, which is about 50 employees or so. What happens to in, in that organization and, and in, in that kind of a scenario? And how, how does the culture blend really happen? Can you give, give some insights into that? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Srikant. I think um, I'm probably uniquely qualified to talk, to talk about the question right now because, you know, Newstar has just been acquired by TransUnion and we're right. going through an acquisition process. Hmm. And in Symphony, um, I was part of multiple mergers and acquisitions process. So uh, I've seen both 
end of the spectrum where I've acquired, where I've been part of the acquisition and I've been part of the acquiring companies as well. And for me, um, it always starts that the, the um, you know, the question of why we are doing this transaction. Mm. What is the reason for these two companies to come together and what and why um, are, have we executed on this particular strategy? Mm. So um, as an example, right, we in one of my previous engagements, we acquired a 10 member company, a company mm. which, which gave us a very specific set of um, competencies in a particular product. Um, and this company of 10 people had a very laser fair style, you know, very loose, uh, would come uh, to office with shorts, um, you know, would have beer on Fridays, which is very different to the to the way that we used to uh, function as a company. And it wasn't easy uh, to kind of, um, you know, get to that common point in terms of how. But what really worked for us is the fact that we explained the why to people in terms of why did we, um, you know, kind of uh, do this acquisition and why do we need you guys and what mm. critical roles each of you are going to play in the new entity. And mm. I, I wish I had a magic wand that says, you know, do this, it will happen, right? I mean, I've had a, my fair success, um, share of failures as, as I have had successes in this, in this area. But I think that leadership alignment with regards mm. to um, creating that common culture is probably mm. the most important thing. And then it then goes down to the next levels in terms of you know setting the right goals and then having the right rewards and recognition practices, having the right set of more motivational goals for people. Usually in an acquisition, you go through something called a harmonization period. Mm. In the harmonization period, you also allow for cultures to blend. Um, and also, I think very importantly is that you, even if it's a big company acquiring small company, the big companies need to be open-minded enough to say, okay, there may be something good in the small companies which we can take mm. and we can adopt and we can practice across uh, the organizations of the larger organizations. So right. goes into a lot of into those uh, those areas. So um, I know it's a long-winded answer, but um, I can probably talk the next half an hour about this topic. Yeah, it's such a topic. So. Right, right. Uh, I'm sure. I'm I'm really curious and. Uh, you know, I'm absolutely certain that it will call for an entire episode dedicated to that. So probably another time we'll get into that. Uh, sure. I, I, I also saw that you're a certified mental health professional, right? And thankfully, in the last few, few years, we've been speaking openly about mental health uh, issues. Can you shed some light into that? What, what do you see that's been happening? And, you know, what, what should, as an HR professional, what should you keep in mind with respect to uh, mental health, especially in the context of remote working or hybrid working? Yeah, Shikan, I think um, that's probably um, the area that ha has impacted me the most during pandemic. Mm. Um, you know, people who know me prior to the pandemic know that I have spoken about this particular aspect as a ticking time bomb in the IT industry for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. Because we are in this rat race and we have this constant innate um, you know, uh, wanting to be successful in whatever we do at the cost of sacrificing our own self. Um, while that's great, but I think it, you know, everything comes with a cost. And um, if you see my LinkedIn, the last few posts have all been about uh, mental health and what my experience with mental health has been. And in, I'm going to answer your question slightly differently uh, in the sense in what HR professionals need to be mindful about. For me, um, you know, I've been filled with an enormous sense of gratitude 
for all HR professionals in all the companies for the work they have done for protecting our people across the industry. Look at the work that has gone through, right? You're not only caring for yourself, but you're caring for the lives of not just your employees, but their families, their, um, you know, their loved ones. We've had requests to kind of provide, um, you know, an oxygen concentrator to an uncle's friends, um, um, you know, in some remote part of the world. And we've tried to kind of um, um, scramble and provide those services to people. We've had to make sure that we had people with money for hospitalization, increase, increase insurance coverages. So mm-hmm. just the care that we have actually, you know, exhibited for our employees in general, I'm filled, I'm filled with pride, but I'm also filled with immense sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. But I also want my HR colleagues across the industry to actually take care of themselves as well, right? Because we are we spend so much time in on the mental health of other other people. Sometimes I think we forget about forget about ourselves, and um, you know when um, I I'm going to do something which is I've not done uh, for many times in my career is I'm actually going to take like two weeks off um, at the end of the year, and I'm actually going to completely disconnect because I have realized that I need that break, and um, all of us I dare say I think would need that break. So I think from your own um, HR professionals who are you know watching this particular video really important to care for yourself you know your own right. mental health your own physical health because you have done so much of it um, this whole year and i think it's about time that we deserve a break and we come back uh, refreshed because if we are not refreshed then we can't provide that energy to uh, the rest of the organization so that's that's what i was very present to during the uh, pandemic right i think very well said and i think it's a very very important point you you kind of took a different direction but i I think it's something which we over uh, oversee. I mean, overlook a lot of times. Where uh, whenever we speak about mental health, we are speaking about the 99% of the employees in the organization, their family. But we, we never speak about the mental health uh, of the uh, HR itself, right? So that's that's a great point uh, that you brought out. Since we are on that note, you've been in HR for almost 18, uh, 17, 18, 19 years. Uh, give me some insights into how you've seen HR change and transform. How was it when you started your career and how is it right now? And what role is an HR professional going to play in the coming, say, five or 10 years? And accordingly, for somebody who is just starting off their career as an HR, uh, as an HR professional, what should they, what, what's your tips or what's your advice to them? Yeah, you know, I, I have uh, uh, been immensely grateful for the fact that I've had some incredible mentors throughout my HR career. Mm. And uh, one of the very early advice uh, I got as a part of my career when I started was to break my career into blocks of 10. And I'm talking about like 20 years back. So spend the first 10 years just doing everything and anything. Don't worry about, um, you know, uh, the bigger picture. Oh, I'm not meant to do this and things like that. You know, I have done um, Xerox copying of like thousands and thousands of copies. I've arranged for tea, coffee for candidates who've been waiting for interviews. Um, because everything adds up, everything yeah. adds up to your experience. Spend the next 10 kind of honing your skills, you know, choose, choose one or two or three areas that you think you like, choose one or two or three areas, which you think you can make your career, um, um, uh, you know, become an expert in. And the last 10 start looking at how you can kind of become a master in those areas mm-hmm. specifically. So I got those three and 
probably i think now the horizon is probably shifted you know i don't think it's 10 years anymore right it's probably going to be blocks of five i think where right. you know people are going to be wanting to do something different and then we'll attain uh, mastery in something and then we'll go back to doing something again we'll again mastery yes. again so they'll probably repeat the same cycle twice in their career for right. people and if you see how the human resources function has evolved over the last uh, two decades at least i've been functioning is that when i started working you know um, hr was looked at um, trying to get a seat at the table mm. i don't think hr needs to i would say at least even 5 years back i don't think hr needs to uh, kind of worry about that and then you know greatest example we have is to see what lena nayar now has been able to do you know get to the ceo of chanel um and i think that's where we could do that's where we can aspire to do and i think the next 10 15 years is really going to be about you know able to step up that consultative game and provide mm-hmm. that value added services for people i think we are going to have to be prepared to drop some of these uh, you know the core things like you know uh, performance management or compensation reviews and things like that a lot of that is going to get automated a lot of them is going to become what i call as business functions they're not going to be really hr functions we now i think need to start thinking about the workforce in completely in a different fashion uh, bringing in concepts around emotional intelligence empathy uh, really be, being stepping up to the leadership plate um, and i'm really looking forward to that you know that's what i think um, what i have presently been um, present to is that so many people are in the hr fraternity are now stepping up to those low roles um you know and i think um, i'm i'm only i only want to see more and more lena nayas come up um for us because i think there is we are best suited right now to run organizations because the core of it is people and we understand people very well and we understand customers well so i think that's a good mix to look at right absolutely i was about to ask you some questions about uh, lena nayar for those uh in the audience who are not very sure what that is i think lena nair was the chr or vp hr director hr or something like that at at unilever and has gone on to become the ceo at chanel which is a uh, european uh, luxury brand is that correct did i get that correct yes, correct the chr that's correct yeah so i think it's a it's very very uh, uh unique example where somebody who is heading an hr function goes on to become the ceo of of an organization right so i wanted to ca- uh, kind of touch that point and i want to i meant to ask you this you you come from a commerce or a chartered accountancy background and have gone on to build your career on hr and uh, like you rightly mentioned i came across quite a few professionals who are switching halfway through their career they are they're switching from from it they are switching directly to finance and from finance they are again switching to uh, something else so so what value is it if if somebody brings these different kinds of skills do you see that as as lack of focus or do you see that as uh, bringing more value to the uh, to the uh, leadership table yeah you know what um, i would i would be amazed if i didn't um, you know touch on a particular subject when you ask me about the future of hr um, which is directly related to your uh, current question right i think we we the concepts around diversity equity and inclusion right now mm. um, um and i think these these concepts are right now are being introduced into our into our, our vocabulary new right now in the future i think they will become uh, one with our vocabulary you know we don't have to think about it as a separate topic it mm. will start becoming the mindset and i think that is a bedrock of the answer to your question in terms of you know valuing everybody's experience 
and I'll, I'll give an example of that is you know uh, Google for example I, and in, and I think it was Ernst Young, they removed the uh, educational qualification as a criteria for people to apply to their respective jobs okay. because I think they have done a very uh, significant amount of analysis to understand saying that there's not really a strong correlation between an educational qualification and an actual performance of person on the job. So I think we will go to, um, you know, we have, we have already moving towards a borderless world, but I think we will also go to an um, increasing towards an experience-less world where your prior experience only brings you a certain amount of credibility in the domain but really is about how you can apply those prior experience across the various borders. And especially in a leadership context, I think that's even more important. So mm. um, like, you know, there are, there are people who are making transitions out of HR, but there are a lot of people making transitions into HR also, you know, people who come from, I know a lot of people who come from a sales background who run uh, the talent acquisition functions, for example. I know uh, lawyers who are now coming into, uh, to run the HR function as a whole, for example. So. Mm. That variety has already started. We have started recognizing it. We have started celebrating it. And now I think the next step is we now need to start encouraging it as normal so that people right. feel emboldened and people feel that, yes, this makes a lot of sense to me. Right. Awesome. Awesome. That's superbly said. Uh, I want to touch upon um, something that I saw in one of your profile where it says, that you 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 played significant roles in uh, rewards setting up rewards or total rewards or something like that can you tell a little bit about that what role does rewards have to play in employee engagement oh i think uh, rewards are a huge part of um, employee engagement um, you know be it uh, um, you know uh, tangible uh, non tangible rewards because uh, at the end of the day you want rewards drive behaviors more than anything else mm -hmm. Mm. Um, you know, and it starts, uh, we have a huge culture of rewards in, um, you know, across the globe. I mean, it starts from the time saying, hey, if you go to the shop, I'll give you a five-star chocolate. You know, it comes from, it, it starts from right from our upbringing in terms of how we have been used to getting a reward. Um, right. You know, if you get a first rank in school, I will buy you a, a bicycle or, um, you know, a motorcycle or something like that. So it's something which we have grown up with. It's, it's very inane and it's very human behavior. Right? At the end of the day, all of us yeah. want to have something to show for it, even if it's a even if it's a certificate um, or even if it's acknowledging somebody like, for example, in, in uh, uh, my organization, when people come and teach or train people, we give them plants and mm. we uh, it's notional because we tell them saying that, you know, it's something for which you can nurture and grow and see in front of you um, as part of your growth in this whole um, organization. And this is what you have contributed to. So rewards for me have. Uh, you know, um, a, a monetary context, but for me, they have a far more of an emotional context. Um, mm. um, it could be as simple as a certificate. Um, I used to have uh, what I call as a, a five-star manager because what he used to do is if somebody had a really done a great job, he used to take the greeting card and he used to pick five stars and he, he used to write a very inspirational message. He used to be a calligraphy writer and then he used to write the message. And I know how people really value that particular um, aspect of that individual. So. It's not about, I think, those big bang, uh, you know, here is a one lakh rupees. I think the yeah. daily ones make the real big difference. It's about your boss coming and telling you, saying, listen, you did a fantastic job. I'm so happy that you work for, you work for my organization. Uh, it's about sending that person that, uh, you know, that thousand rupees Amazon gift voucher. A thousand rupees in today's context is not much money, but the fact that mm. my company sends me something, I am valued it. You know, it's those emotional contexts um, really make a difference. 
it could even be as simple as just calling out somebody's name in a in a town hall meeting and saying that hey uh, great job you've done an outstanding job of building this particular thing and i'm very happy that you know you are uh, part of this team and this organization so everything about reward i think has um definitely has a physical um you know monetary element but for me my experience of running total rewards has been that it needs to have far more of an emotional context far more of an emotional connection to people and right. that's what i have tried to focus on as part of the as part of my rewards um journey right right absolutely i i completely agree with you on that since since we do corporate gifts i see that when we make gift packs and we send and it's the the pack is worth thousands of rupees invariably we've seen that it's the greeting card that's that yeah, that gets a shout out right they say i love the card i love the message on it and i'm going to pin it in an important place and i'm going to look at it every single day where you know the value of the greeting we probably give that greeting card complimentary as a part of the gift pack right so it's it's the intent it's not uh, the value but i think the value of the product or the reward that is given um, increases the memory or the duration of that uh, that memory of of whatever that was achieved let's say completion of 5 years in business or something like that so that's my uh, philosophy and 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 we've seen that the impact of that greeting card uh, that emotional connected builds is 10x more if a personal message is written out instead of a printed message wherever possible of course if you're sending to thousands of people it may not be possible but if it's a smaller team writing out a personalized note i think is 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 really really amazing yeah and i think in in the pandemic context that's become even more important uh, because you know we're not physically there in the offices okay. and i've seen many companies kind of really do a fantastic job in that area right you know you know it's not about you know for example when we sent out um, care packages for people uh, to mm-hmm. deal with um, you know we we got them oximeters and um, you know bp machines and etc a lot of people mm-hmm. actually told us you know what we love the gesture we have some of these at home already but the mm-hmm. fact that you you care to send us this you know that conveys a fact of care for organizations and i think um, you know many companies have done a phenomenally great job of actually connecting that aspect with uh, employees right absolutely couldn't agree with you uh, more kashik so we're we're almost at the end of the session i have one last question uh, before we can uh, wind this up i want to ask you you you've been you worked in um, hr in the indian context as well as in the global context right so from an hr professional point of view how is it different what are the differences what are the different kind of nuances what are the different kind of challenges in these two different settings yeah again um it's a it's a great question it's something which i am uh, you know i've been i've had the unique opportunity of experiencing both cultures um of working with global setting in a, a local setting as well um i think there are lots of different things right because if you look at the composition of workforces across uh, the various uh, regions are very different like india has a far younger uh, demographic yeah. um, population as compared to say some of the other countries across so hence the needs and the behavior characteristics are different like for example uh, you know we spoke about the purpose and the why of the organizations i think that that conversation is is i think far more prevalent in some of the say the european and the scandinavian countries as compared to say in some of the asian countries in some of the asian countries you know we still are um, you know it's it's still a lot about uh, things like cash compensation or rewards and recognition because the the younger workforce that's what the need of the hours for people in some of the workforces it's really about medical insurance and benefits and 
uh, is really about how uh, are we having a total family philosophy to the whole, um, you know, the whole benefits package. Um, I think culturally, what, what, but regardless of all these semantics, right, what I've been very present to is the fact that all of us are human beings at the end of the day. All of us want to be engaged. All of us want to be rewarded. All of us want to be inspired. You know, I, I, I like to use the word inspired more than motivated because I think motivation is more a self-induced um, uh, quality as compared to inspired. You know, I can inspire someone, but I cannot get someone to do something. Right. So that's that's why I look at it. So for for people across cultures, I think it's still those tenets are still the same. People want to be, <clears throat> they want to know why they work in organizations. They still want to be felt, cared for. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, and for me, that was probably the biggest realization of of working in across uh, global organizations is that we may be different, um, regard you know, uh, with regards to caste, speed, color, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but we're still humans at the end of the day, and we still want mm. to be engaged, we want to be touched, we want to be inspired, we want to be moved, and I think that's that was a big um, learning for me personally. Awesome, fantastic. Loved it, Kaushik. I really had a great time. I'm absolutely sure that uh, it was great value for the audience who were uh, here with us. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Kaushik. Uh, it was a really, really insightful conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time off uh, in the probably last few days before you take take off on your uh, vacation. I hope you had a good time, Kaushik. Yeah, thank you, Shrikan. I really appreciate the time. And um, you know, I'm, I've been very humbled by the fact that I've been given the opportunity to share my perspective. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic uh, weekend and uh, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year in advance uh, to you, Kaushik. And thank you everyone from the, from the audience for joining. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This podcast is an Offineeds.com initiative. Offineeds is a leading corporate gifting company based in India. Offineeds specializes in custom-made new joining kits, offering guaranteed home delivery of corporate gifts, setting up and managing official brand stores for companies and gift voucher solutions from 100 plus brands for your company's top performers. Thank you for listening. I hope you got at least one or two ideas to execute in your own company. Stay tuned for a new employee engagement podcast every week. See you soon.